Let's pray. Father, I ask uh, that you would help us to connect with the story here of the apostles, that we might live a bit more like them. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I need to set, I need to share something that will set up what I'm about to talk with you about. And that's, first of all, I need to say something about the Sanhedrin, okay? And so the Sanhedrin, Jewish ruling council, they would, um, like, to be brought before the Sanhedrin would be a terrifying thing. It would be like being brought before court for sentencing, like you've done something wrong and like the, so this, it would be a terrifying thing on one level. Um, when we get to Acts chapter 4, and we have Peter and John brought before the Sanhedrin, and then the apostles in Acts 5, can I just ask anybody real quick, any idea, when's the time before Acts chapter 4 that we hear of the Sanhedrin? Anybody? Crucifixion, basically with Jesus, with, with the sentencing of Jesus, right? And that's only possibly just like two months before this. And the, the apostles for themselves you would be pretty traumatized to have your rabbi that you were following for three years, who you hoped would rise up in such a way as to overthrow the Romans, like you had high hopes for what his ministry might, might accomplish, achieve, high hopes regarding who he was, to have him sentenced and killed by the Sanhedrin, and then you're brought before the Sanhedrin possibly just a few months later. Right? Like... What they're going through when they're brought before the Sanhedrin must be, even on just some sort of like lizard brain level, right? Must be just absolutely terrifying. And yet, what we see with the apostles is, is beautiful. Their strength, their courage, their boldness. In fact, let me, um, here, I want to start by taking us into three quick moments in our text, in, in Acts 5 where you can kind of see the natural way to respond. Okay, there's like what's natural, and then there's the apostles, okay? Um, and so with each of these, I can take you into it, and you'll probably be able to go, okay, yeah, uh, and you can check yourself. What would I do, right? So check this out, moment number one. In verse 18, they're arrested for preaching about Jesus and put in jail. Um, this, they're, they're put in jail so that they can be held overnight, so there's enough time to convene the Sanhedrin, okay? Um, in, in verse 19, pretty cool, an angel sets them free. The angel tells them to go back to the temple courts. Now hold on for just a moment. If you're one of the apostles and you've been arrested and it could possibly end in death and you are set free from by an angel, what would you do? <laughs> Run. Yeah, like, right? Go live with your auntie in the hills. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, run. That's to, that, to me, would be natural. Instead, they were arrested at the temple courts. Instead, the next morning, what do they do? They go back to the place they were arrested, like, that is as public as possible, where they will be arrested again. Okay? So, moment number one. Moment number two. So, that next morning, the Sanhedrin's assembled. They go to bring the apostles in and find that the cells are empty. The guards are still posted. The doors are locked. It doesn't make any sense. The, um, you know, where are they? Of course, again, they're back at the temple courts. They arrest them again. How convenient. They bring them in front of the whole Sanhedrin. 
Now, if you were brought before the Sanhedrin and they were, you know, the Sanhedrin says, we've got charges against you, what's your response? My response is, yes, sir, whatever you want, sir. Okay, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, in front of a court, in front of a judge, I wonder what Peter Blair sees. Anyways, like, you know, yes, sir, whatever you want, sir, or sirs, or, you know, like, terrifying. And yet, notice what they say in verse 29, before the Sanhedrin. We must obey God rather than human beings. Like, you think you're so powerful. Human beings. We must obey God rather than human beings. Moment number three I want you to see here. At the end of chapter five, again, this is baffling. End of chapter five, they're flogged. Cultural note, to be flogged was pretty severe. Okay? The Jews would lash someone. They, they would do it 39 times instead of 40 because 40 to them was the, the number that re represented the judgment of God, okay? And often people would die just from being flogged. So the Jews, the, the apostles here are flogged at the end of chapter 5. And how would you respond to being flogged? I mean, you know, natural thing. It's painful, you know, it's horrible. Boy, that was such a horrible experience. Can't believe what happened, right? We survived, but man, you've, we've all been flogged, okay? Notice what we get in verse 41. They left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Like, can I, let me read that again. <laughs> rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. See, I share these examples because I want you to see that actually the apostles had some sort of way of seeing the world that is quite often different from us, right? And it's beautiful and it's powerful. And I want to challenge us to see some of how they were living in, that it might, in a way that it might challenge us, okay? And so here, here's what I want to do. I want to just give you some, some quick insights that we get from our text. You could also get insights from beyond, from other, beyond this text, but just a few things from this text that might give us insight into how they were thinking, how they saw the world, all right? First thing I want you to see, and I've, I've said it already, but it's significant, is that they were obeying God instead of any person or, or authority. In verse 28, they're told, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, right? There's some history here. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested after healing a man. In, in chapter 4, verse 18, they are the Sanhedrin. By the Sanhedrin, they, are, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Right? Here's the boundary, very clear. They're commanded not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. In chapter 5, then here, when they're arrested for teaching in the name of Jesus... An angel lets them go. They go back to teaching in the name of Jesus again. Like, the Sanhedrin, you, you would think the Sanhedrin needs to do something about this. Right? And yet they hold their ground that regardless, they were obeying God instead of any person or authority. Now bear in mind, often we should obey the government out of our faith. Okay? That should be the right thing that happens. However, if our government were to make decisions that, were, that contrast with what God says, 
it would, radical disobedience would be the right thing for us to do. Okay? Fortunately, we're in a place where that's not, that's not required of us. But that is exactly what they're, bumping, what they're running into here. And the thing is, we aren't wired for this. Right? Like, we're wired in such a way that to go along with the crowd and to, to be well-loved, and you know what I mean? Like, that's what we want. That's, we're, made, that's, we're made more in that sort of way, right? And so to be able to stand up and be counted and be able to speak the name of Jesus even though you might be rejected, we're not, we're not wired for that. Um, let me just, just, this is a fun illustration. Many of us will be, probably might be aware of it. Anybody ever seen the show Candid Camera? Okay, fantastic. If you haven't, it's like this American prank show from like way back in the day, okay? And um, can I share with you my favorite candid camera moment, even though this is, has nothing to do with the sermon, okay? Um, it's when basically this sister wrote into candid camera and said, could you do a prank on my brother, right? And she said, so she told them everything they needed to know. And what happened is, and they show the camera, basically, he goes to the corner shop to get some food for his family on his bicycle, as he often does, change the bicycle to this really tall light post, you know, as normal. And then what you see really quick is a crane, as he goes into the shop, a crane turns around, lifts his bike, and lowers it so that the frame goes over the light post, okay? and then turns around again. The boy comes out of the shop, and then you just see on camera him tugging at the thing, trying to figure out, how the heck did I do this? You know, like, right? Love it, absolutely love it. Okay, um, but one that they did that connects with what I wanna share with you here was, <laughs> yeah, um, was basically, they, they set up this thing where, you know, you, a person gets into, you know, normal person gets into an elevator, and of course, when you get into an elevator, what do you do? You face the doors, right? Goes to the next floor. Three people get into the elevator that are actors. The person doesn't know. And what those three people do is they face the back, right? And you can see the person's already getting a little uncomfortable. And then, then they go to the next floor. What, what happens? Another person gets in, faces the back, at which point, basically, everybody just goes... <laughs> You know, just turns around, like, you know, um, inevitably, right? Like, we're made to go along with the flow. We're made to, and yet, often as part of our faith, we need to be willing to say, no, I'm obeying God instead of any person or authority. Right? And so, I want you to see that with them, that they're obeying God instead of any person or authority. Second thing I want you to see with them, is that they had a gospel too good to keep to themselves. I like how the angel puts it in verse 20. The angel says it this way, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. Tell the people all about this new life. And I love that shamelessly, they share the gospel with the Sanhedrin, right? And there's some things you can see about what they, how they do that. You could point at the fact that, that they start with their commonality, right? They say, um, look, the God of our ancestors, right? We're connected. The God of our ancestors. 
Or as well that they share their own testimony. They say, we, are, we were witnesses of these things. Like we saw it ourselves. But they share the gospel with the Sanhedrin. In fact, the Sanhedrin say, you're trying to make us guilty of this man's blood. By the way, natural response right there would be to go, no, 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 I don't want you to feel guilty, right? Um, their response was, uh, Jesus, whom you killed. <laughs> like, they're, they're not letting up at all. Jesus, whom you killed. And they go on to say that because that they can repent and find forgiveness, right? It, just in a few verses right there, you can see it, verses 30 and 31, that they're sharing the gospel with the Sanhedrin. I'd love to say that the Sanhedrin all repented. Instead, what we read is this. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Now, bear in mind, sometimes you're going to share Jesus with someone and they're going to respond, and I've seen it before where someone responds, how could God love me like this in tears? Right? Like where this, but there's a spiritual reality at work that may mean that someone responds like, how could God love me like this? And there's also, or they could also respond, I'd like to kill you. <laughs> right? Our responsibility, regardless of the response, is to be willing to share Jesus. The, um, the worst response I've ever had. Can I share that with you? Worst response I've ever had. The, uh, basically, for this to make sense, it was the, the night of the year where you lose an hour, right? Okay? And I was working at Domino's Pizza, and the, late, the shift went late, and my dorm at the university, would, they, would, they would lock the doors between 1 a.m. and 6 a.m. And so my shift ended at 1.30. This is a problem. We've lost an hour, so it's basically like 2.30. And I'm thinking at this point, and I'm young enough at this point, that I'm like, well, I'll just go get some food, okay? Go to a 24-hour place, eat some food, and read, and I'll, I'll, I'll head in at 6 a.m., okay? Um, at about 5 a.m., I got really bored, as you can imagine. And so I go driving. It's cold outside. And as I'm driving, there's a guy hitchhiking. Okay? Now, bear in mind, might not be the best to pick up hitchhikers at 5 a.m. Okay? Um, regardless. I, and, I, and I found out later that this guy supposedly had escaped from this mental place. Um, I... I assumed they had low security. He wasn't that dangerous. Don't worry. It doesn't need to be that dramatic. You know what I mean? Um, so anyways, I picked this guy up. He's just happy to be in my car warming up, right? And so we drive and we talk for like a couple of hours. Like at 6 a.m. I'm able to take him back to my universe. We have breakfast. Um, what's weird to me is that the whole way along, this seems like it's like a really good news story. Because I share my faith with him, and he's just going, yeah, fantastic. I want to become a Christian. Do you know what I mean? Like the whole way along, everything. He has no questions or anything. He's just excited about it. And yet, something spiritually inside of me is going, something's not right here. Right? I drop him off at like 7 a.m. And when he gets out of my car, he slammed the door so hard, it's surprising the glass didn't break. 
He takes the Bible that I gave him and he whips it down on the ground and starts stomping on it and effing and blinding at me like crazy with so much rage it was unreal. Right? Again, there's a spiritual reality sometimes behind things. Like, you know, they wanted to put them to death. Like sometimes the response is, is, could be horrible. And from time to time I would see him in town and I'd be like, Jesus loves you. And he'd be like, you know, he hated me, <laughs> you know, like sort of thing. Um, and hey, hopefully he's come to Christ. My response, my, my position, I need to be willing to share Christ, regardless of the response. Sometimes the response will be encouraging, sometimes it won't. Here, they have a really negative response. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Third thing I want you to see with the apostles is that they were part of a story that was bigger than themselves. Right? The angel told them to go back to the temple courts. That might have clued them into some God's up to something. Bear in mind, when you're directed by God, you still have a choice. But to me, remember that it is God, which to me means that we've got no choice, you know? Like it would be sad to miss out on what God's doing. So they do have a choice, but they, and they decide to do to fall in line with what God's up to. They were part of a story bigger than themselves. And Gamaliel stands up to address the Sanhedrin, and his logic here could be read in a few different ways. On one level, it could be, look, leave it to the Romans. Like, Jerusalem, like, they're occupied by Rome. If this movement gets too big, the Romans will crush them. Job done. Leave it to the Romans. More significant to me in what Gamaliel says is more like the logic of like, look, we've seen movements where the leader dies and then the movement just fizzles out. So Jesus has, been, has died, the movement will fizzle out, give it some time, it'll be fine, right? And there's this great thing right at the end of what Gamaliel says, verses 38 and 39, which I think you can read in two different ways. And so for the Sanhedrin, they're hearing it in one way. Check this out. If their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And to the Sanhedrin, they're going, yeah, this is of human origin, so it doesn't matter. I love it. And Luke, I think, includes this because he knows better. He knows that what's, ha what's happening here is of God. And that if God's at work, if his power is at work, it is unstoppable. Now bear in mind, God is still at work today. And we are invited to join him in his work. I want you to realize something for a moment. God's work is unstoppable. Can I just say, not every church is part of God's work. Right? But I believe and I hope and I pray that what we're doing here is part of God's work. What we're doing at St. Andrew's is part of God's work. Because God's work is unstoppable and we want to be part of his work. And then I love how the chapter ends, right? In verse 40, they're ordered again not to speak in the name of Jesus. Look what happens, verse 42. It says this, day after day, in the temple courts, like in the temple, you could underline that, like we've talked about that. You know what I mean? Day after day, 
in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The example of the apostles here in Acts 4 and 5 is staggering. Beautiful. I want you to see some of their way of seeing the world. They were obeying God instead of any person or authority. They had a gospel too good to keep to themselves. And they were part of a story bigger than themselves. By the way, can I just say something? Quite often when we invite people to help out with things in church, we do it the wrong way. So when you, get a, when you hear a notice that says, hey, maybe you want to help with coffee or with youth or with children sort of thing, we say, hey, we need your help. We don't really do it right. Because really, when you're helping with coffee, I hope you're doing it thinking, I want to provide community for people. I want someone, when, they, when they're new here, I want them to feel welcome quickly. Do you know what I mean? I'm not just making coffee. When I'm helping with children or I'm helping with youth, I'm not just helping them play some fun games. Actually, the reason I do it is because there's some stuff that we're doing that's going to help them grow spiritually, that's going to be significant for them, and I want to be part of that. Right? In COVID, many of us have gotten focused on ourselves so much that life is just about my life. And yet it's important that we're giving out in such a way that our lives are about more than just ourselves. And we see that with the apostles. They were part of a story bigger than themselves. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would challenge us with the example of the apostles. That you'd help us to know perhaps what this means for us. Get us excited with what you're doing, Father. I pray even this week that there would be times where we hear the whisper of your spirit directing us into things where you are at work. In Jesus' name, amen.